Welcome to the Strong for Performance podcast, where we share wisdom and practical tips to help you grow stronger in all areas of your life. I'm your host, Meredith Bell. I interview experts who offer real-world experiences that you can apply to your own journey. If you enjoy my podcast, be sure to subscribe and rate it on your favorite podcast platform. Welcome to another episode of the Strong for Performance podcast. I'm your host, Meredith Bell, and I am delighted to have with me as my guest today, Joanna Brandy. Joanna, welcome to my show. Oh, I'm so happy to be here. We've been talking about this for a long time. We have. I'm so excited to have this conversation because you are so brilliant in this whole area of employee engagement and culture. And we're going to dive into that. But first, I want to give a shout out to our good friend and colleague, Tom Perone, because Tom is the one who introduced us. And we've had such wonderful conversations since that first meeting. Tom is one of the best connectors on the planet. He's amazing. And so, Joanna, before we get into all these questions that I have for you, let me give you uh, a more uh, formal introduction to my audience. Joanna has been in business since 1990, helping companies create happy, engaged, and productive employees who are dedicated to providing, and I love this word, exquisite customer care. That's in a whole different level. (laughs) She created a self-study training program on this topic, and she's also the publisher of the Practice of Positive Leadership eCourse. She's the author of several books, including 54 Ways to Stay Positive, which I have a copy of, and it's wonderful, and two other books on customer loyalty. Joanna is also a certified chief happiness officer through the Florida International University and a graduate of Dr. Martin Seligman's Authentic Happiness Coaching Program. I'm such a fan of his work. And for more than 23 years, she's been in demand as a speaker for Vistage, an international organization of CEOs. She's passionate about helping her clients activate the link between positivity and profitability creating great companies to work for and do business with. What a fabulous focus, Joanna. I love that because to me, what's so powerful in what you're doing is you are really focused on both bringing the employee engagement performance level up by helping company leaders value them and also than the customers that they are interacting with. And I think, you know, that sequence is really on target, the getting the employees in a good place in order to serve your clients in an exquisite manner. Such a fabulous word. So tell us, before we get into detail, tell us a little bit about your journey of how you came to focus on the work you're doing today. Well, I was, in the, I was in the corporate world. I was the director of direct marketing for a big New York technology publisher. And uh, I, was, I was, back then we called an entrepreneur. I ran a division of the company. And when it became uh, pretty evident to me that I wanted something more, there was nothing inside the company. 
They didn't want to start a direct marketing publication. That's what I knew. So I did something very interesting. It turns out it's a, it's a positive psychology exercise, but 30 years ago, I just made it up. Uh, and I started calling the customers that I'd been working with for a really long time. And I said, look, I'm really ready to move on from here. But honestly, I don't know what I do best. So what do I do best? And almost every single one of them said exactly the same thing. You've set a standard for customer service in our industry that we've never seen before. Everybody's out to beat you. So if you could teach other people how to take better care of their customers, you probably have a business there. So I jumped ship and I have to admit, I didn't have a real clear picture. And that was a mistake those first two years. But once I was able to kind of figure out exactly how to hone in on that, people began to see the value in it. That's great. And so you, you've merged, though, this idea of focusing on the customers and creating great value, creating great value for them. But how did you also then start working on the internal corporate that culture? Was easy. Well, that was easy because I kept getting hired to go into companies as a consultant. I didn't have a real, truthfully, I didn't have a real clear picture. So when a client or a potential client said, can you do this? I said what most of your listeners probably say, and that's yeah, sure. What do you need? <laughs> Can you teach teamwork? I go, sure. What do you need? So every time I'd be asked that question, I would basically say yes to it. And then I'd go off and try to figure out how to do it. So when I became a consultant, uh, I began seeing themes no matter where I went. And the companies that had the most robust reputations for taking great care of their customers had a, had a different kind of leadership. And then I began to really hear one phrase. This is bizarre, Meredith. One phrase over and over again, no not, I, I don't want to say no matter where I was, but in many different places. And that phrase was this, as I'm sitting and talking with my yellow pad and my pen, talking to a customer service rep, and they would say, how come they never notice when I do something right, but when I do something wrong, they're all over me? And I used to go home from these interviews very sad because I had had an experience like that. And I started to realize that when, when people aren't appreciated in their jobs, when they're not told what they do right, when they're not celebrated in their jobs, there's no way they can really take exquisite care of those customers because they're deflated. Mm. So I started understanding, and, and I do a lot of esoteric studying about all this kinds of stuff, you know, so I, I, I pull and synthesize from everywhere that I study. And I began realizing that when, when a leader is encouraging and is, um, is appreciative and is supportive and is nurturing, the, the, that person's going to blossom. They're going to move out of their comfort zone into their stretch zone without having to go into their panic zone, which is what I did in my, a lot of this comes from the fact that I don't want anybody to have the same journey I had. Mm. You know, I worked in an organization, many organizations, actually, and it may have just been a, a, a sign of the times where they'd say, you know, you're a break girl. And then they'd say, let's throw her in the pool and see if she can swim. So they'd give you a project and wouldn't give you the resources. <laughs> you know? It was almost, I think back those days, 
it was a test, you know, it was, it was how we tested people to see if they had the metal to make it here. You know, it was a very different kind of leadership than the kind of leadership that I teach now. So I think part of it is that I learned from my own experience, combine that from all the years of hundreds of companies that I went in and out of and talked to people and realized how can these poor people do a great job with the customer when they're deflated? When at the end of the day, it's not, you know, work should be an energy gain. Work done right should be an energy gain. You should feel, wow, I did this today. I'm accomplished. My boss loved what I did. Uh, My customers raved about that thing I did for them. You go home at the end of the day and you have energy left for your kids. But when you have people sort of picking at you all day long (laughs) or not, or just not noticing that you're important, you go home at the end of the day and it's an energy drain. So I, I'm not sure how I came. There was never a straight road to me finding my way to where I am now. I meandered, you know, in and out of some of the top companies, uh, especially the catalog companies that I worked with. Um, I meandered in and out of these companies and I observed very keenly what the experience was like for the employee and realized that we have to make it a good experience for the employee mm-hmm. because without the employee's energy without their dedication, without their focus, without their willingness. We, we deprive our customers <clears throat> of all we could be as a company. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> that is so important. I was just having a conversation earlier today on an interview myself about <clears throat> some of the communication skills and listening in particular and how when you listen well and you're fully present with someone, it's amazing what, what it does to strengthen the relationship and do exactly what you're saying. You know, it doesn't take saying rah-rah words to someone. No. It's valuing them as a human being and them feeling that from the leader. It's, it's, it's so huge. Well, let's look at then this um, question of how can leaders create a positive work culture, an environment that produces what you call a positive spillover effect in the world. Talk about that. Well, first and foremost, it's an attitude. It's an, it's an asset focused attitude. So we're looking for good rather than looking for what's broken. What's the best of what we have here rather than uh, what's not going right? How can we fix things? So it's, it's attitudinally, it's very different. So it's that searching for good. What's, what's going well and why? One of my favorite questions, right? What's going well and why? And when people get the opportunity to speak that, it, it puts them in a positive place. Now we know, and you know, I've been studying this for years, but now it's pretty well established out there that when people are in a positive emotion, when they're in a positive place, their body starts pumping out these really beneficial biochemicals that build their immune systems, that give them stamina, that make them, the one statistic I love the most is that when someone is in in the positive emotion, they're 43% more adaptable. Well, when in the world have we ever needed adaptability more than we need it now? Mm-hmm. And uh, there's such um, a mistaken notion that I, and I'll use the word happiness, although I actually try not to use it too much <laughs> because I get so much pushback. There's such a mistaken notion that if we focus our culture on happiness, on goodness, on wellness, that, uh, that people, it'll be too soft. 
but every statistic out there, and all of this can be measured, every statistic out there tells us that when you do that, you get better performance. But I think we have some really old fashioned ideas stuck mm. in our brains up here. And when I listen to you talk, because I love listening to you, I like going LinkedIn <clears throat> to listen to your lessons and, and all your lessons about communication are lessons about really about being present, about my moving my ego out of the way, whatever it is I've been thinking I wanted to say to you, I move it aside so that I can really be present with what you need. That's a bigger skill for more people than, than many people are willing to learn. And, you know, I think part of it, <clears throat> Joanna, is just the way our society runs these days. People are used to flitting from thing to thing to thing. And so to really give focused attention on the person in front of you, yes. it's like it takes real effort to do that. You are telling me about this uh, recent study that you had read from... Um, Oh, the Gallup study? The Gallup, yes. I want you to tell us more oh. about that because that is really important for today and for the coming months and possibly years. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Gallup has been measuring well-being at work for, I don't know, 12, 15 years. So Gallup <clears throat> has a standard well-being index and they and they, they go out and they interview thousands of people all around the world on a continual basis. Well, they, they step that up a little bit during covid so that they were getting, you know, they, they wanted to be right where the information was and how people were feeling. They have noticed something they're, they're calling the engagement well-being paradox. So typically, and, and engagement right now is not bad. It's really not bad. Uh, it's actually a little bit higher than it used to be. It's about 36% in the US. That's pretty good. So what they're saying is that engagement and well-being <clears throat> Excuse me, we both have this today. It must be the spring air. Uh, engagement and well-being have typically gone hand in hand. So when engagement goes up, well-being goes up. Right now, they're going like this. Engagement's going up. Well-being is tanking. And they are predicting that there will be, and this is their words, not mine, massive burnout unless we start paying attention to the well-being of our individuals in our organizations. So what is the impact that uh, COVID, I assume, with people having to work remotely and all the other factors, what are some of those factors that are contributing to this diversion of the two? Well, first and foremost, people are exhausted. The people that are now working at home and didn't really want to be working at home, uh, some people love it. Some people don't like it, but you've got women, especially you've got uh, you've got people that are trying to homeschool their children and do their jobs. Uh, work has become ever present. So the, if, if you happen to be working on your kitchen table, it never goes away. Not everybody was able to build a she shed or a he shed or a team shed in the backyard. You know, um, some people are working in small spaces with family members around and it, it, that you can only do that for so long without feeling some level of stress. Some people are stressed because they don't have the socialization that they were used to having in the office. Um, there is just, there's, there's stress that literally comes from the outside. If you turn the television on at all, you're under stress because we've never in this country watched a death toll the way we are doing now every night. And, and if, even if they're not talking about it, it's on the side of the screen. So we're constantly taking in this negative information. It's causing a lot of fear. 
Uh, many people are isolated. I don't know about you. I don't think we've had time to do too much talking about this. I haven't seen my daughter and my grandchildren for a year and a half. Um, that, that wears on people. Uh, there's isolation. And then there's something we never talk about in the workplace. There's grief. There is grief. There's collective grief. There's loss of jobs. There's looking at the people that don't have food, which we, re we report on a regular basis. So what, what's beginning to happen is that people are, their well-being is being worn down. We're producing too much cortisol in our bodies. I, I don't know how many pounds you put, put on, but I'm, I'm ready to tackle my COVID weight now because most of us have put on weight, which alters our sleep patterns because there's too much cortisol in our systems. There's too much adrenaline. So there's so much going on that is literally going to burn out the human being. Mm -hmm. And last I checked, not all businesses have robots yet. So we have, we have human beings in our businesses and we really need to ask the question, what do you need? How are you doing? Is there something I could provide you that I'm not providing now? You know, the, the best companies, the companies that you hear about, you know, the best companies to work for, some of them are paying for childcare, house cleaning, you know, uh, visits to yoga classes, subscriptions to online exercise events and meditations. Some of the very best companies are trying to make sure that their people are taken care of in, in the ways that we've never really been allowed to take care of people. I think this is an, an amazing opening. It's an amazing opportunity to bring humanity to work. Mm. I love those examples that you're giving because they're showing that uh, the leaders in those companies are looking at the actual pressures that people are under yeah. and what are some of the things they can do, like hiring someone to clean their house for goodness sake, or other things that the person wouldn't spend the money on themselves for. Exactly. And who, who even, most people, even when there's a death in the family, don't go for grief counseling, which is, I think, one of the most important things people could do when they don't. Uh, but who would even think that? That's what, we have a nation that needs grief counseling. To get to get past this, there are so many things, and and just by creating more, deliberately creating more happiness, more positivity in the work culture can reverse this, because when the human body is feeling those positive emotions, because my boss noticed me, or my boss did something special for me, or my coworkers are we're we're in a beautiful state of collaboration, and we're being given the freedom to do it now. Maybe, maybe giving people 10 or 20% of the time where they can, they can pursue something, be paid for it, but pursue something other than the, the straight on work projects. There are so many ways that we can create that. And, and the, one of the key ways is what you teach is positive communication. And then there's positive relationship. There's positive climate, creating that positive climate, even as simple as uh, for people that are in the office, you know, putting a gratitude jar in the middle of the team table and asking everyone to, before you sit down for a meeting, put a, put a little piece of paper with what they're grateful for today and speak it out loud. I do that when I do team meetings over Zoom. Now we close the team meetings over Zoom with a circle of appreciation. Because when, when people leave feeling that they appreciate something, they're leaving on a positive note. They're leaving in a in a, um, a a beautiful a sine wave because their heart rate variability changes. When we 
say something positive to one another when we even on even on zoom look into each other's eyes put our hands on our heart which starts the flow of oxytocin when we get into that state wonderfully good things happen in our body that cause our parasympathetic nervous system to kick into gear and that's the healing function of the body so when you introduce a more positive culture and i think it needs to be deliberate because without deliberate practices, we just had a brief conversation before we started about your morning practices. Your morning practices serve you. My morning practices serve me. But if I don't do them, right, if I stop doing my morning practices that are geared to bring me into positivity and bring me into better health and bring me into a meditative state where I'm creating an intention for how I want my day to go, if we don't do those practices on a regular basis, life happens. Somebody turns the television on, somebody calls you up and says, let's go for coffee, you know, whatever it is. The I think we really have to look at, given what's going on in the world that's trying to speed us up, whoa, what are we going to do to slow us down from what's really important before we, we're burning out our human beings? Mm -hmm. And I believe that every organization, large or small, can, can find a way to create a more deliberate positivity Many, many positive emotions, not just happiness, but awe, amusement, curiosity. I mean, there are so many positive emotions. What are we doing deliberately to create those emotions in our workforces? So because everything spills over, Meredith, everything. Mm -hmm. So when we create a positive environment at work, it spills over out into our families, out into our communities. One of the very first exercises I do when I get a group of CEOs together for Vistage is a spillover exercise. And I have a little diagram, a circle in the middle that says positive culture, and then arms going out from that positive culture with circles all over here. And so people can, can take a look at how far does it spread? We create a positive culture at work. What happens to our employees, right? They'll be more positive with their families. They'll be more patient with their children. They may feel energetic enough at the end of the gate to, to donate some of their time or money to local charities. If we create positive customers, what are they going to do? Well, they're going to tell their friends and they're going to refer business. And when we screw up, they're going to tell us nicely <laughs> instead of posting it on Yelp. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. and, and so every one of these these um, uh, these this, these circles after the CEOs fill them out, I put them in groups of four or five. So we get a lot of input and you would, you would just be amazed at the stuff they start after a while, they get into it and they start putting new branches and new circles. And then I asked them to do one more thing. I said, find somebody who's got a different color pen and put a dollar sign next to anything that either makes you money or saves you money. And all of a sudden you watch the faces and they go, Oh my God, everything makes us money or saves us money. There's not one thing that they ever have on that map that doesn't either make the money or save the money. That's positive spillover. Mm. Well, it is. And I'm curious if you have some of them that ask you, well, what are specific things I can do to create this positive culture? I buy into everything you're saying, but I don't know what do I need, what do I need to do? What do I need to inspire others to do? How do you help them navigate that? 
Well, the very first thing I asked them to do is a practice called the appreciation audit. And I asked them for a few weeks until they build a muscle is to three to five times during the day, usually when they're doing something else, filling the water bottle or filling their coffee cup or whatever they do on a regular basis, sit down in the moment with a pen and piece of paper and write down three to five things that they're appreciative of, of that moment, at that moment. Mm. And when they do that exercise over several days, what begins to happen is that they begin to notice smaller and smaller things. And they begin to notice more things to appreciate because what you put your focus on expands. Mm. So when you're directing them to do that, that builds the appreciation muscle. And then I teach them uh, a very simple, it's called best self-feedback, how to give best self-feedback to someone. And that would be uh, Meredith, uh, you're, a, you're a, such a valuable member of this team. Well, and we are, we're on Tom's team. <laughs> we're on Tom Perone's team, right? You're such a valuable member of this team. And uh, for instance, I notice that you post things on YouTube that are so useful and so meaningful that I want to create a library out of them. You post things that are real, that are easy to do, and absolutely relevant to almost any business, actually any business out there. So I might say that to you. So I would notice you doing something. I would tell you, I would mention what you are doing instead of add a girl. I would mention what you are doing. And then I would connect it to the values of the team. And so I teach them small little exercises like that, that they can do on a regular basis until it becomes habitual. I love those. They are so... Um you know, easy to do. They don't require huge amounts of time. And yet one of the things I, I really like about that uh, one, the best self one is it's very specific. So I, like you say, it's not an at a boy or at a girl. It, it's really zeroing in on and that not, not only feels good, but for the individual, then that tells them they want more of this from me exactly right. and, and helps them realize this is valued it communicates so many things at one time it really does and it's not like i come to you and, and, and i'm saying here's what you're doing wrong and i'm going to tell you how to do it right i'm going to wait until i see you doing it right and then i'm going to give you praise for doing it right and then i'm going to connect that praise to whatever the company's mission is whatever the team's mission is and i'm going to express personal appreciation so that's like a three-in-one power communication and I think the, the other thing that's so important and one of the first things that I teach is how to spot strengths. Mm. I taught that. Well, mm -hmm. some of the parents, I will say, some of the parenting advice today does teach that. Some of the parenting advice today very much says, look for when they're doing something that's right and praise them and name it. Because most of us, honestly, when I went to quit my job and I wanted to move on, I didn't even know what my strengths were. I thought I knew what my strengths. I thought I was a brilliant marketer. No, I wasn't a brilliant marketer. <laughs> Apparently, <laughs> I had a good budget, so I was able to do great marketing. But what I did was have the ability to build relationships with other people, understand what they needed, and then deliver on that. And that's, you know, that's really what it's all about, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Oh, it is. Well, let's flip this around a little bit and talk about 
what happens in a toxic work environment and the kind of spillover from that? What are some of the negative things that can come in the society as a whole, the way you were just saying with the positive, now let's just look at the negative consequences. The negative consequences are huge. First and foremost, negative consequences of a toxic culture is people willingly, deliberately don't do their job or don't do it right. People will deliberately hold back on the best of who they are and not contribute. People will get into arguments and fights with other people in a toxic culture because we all know emotions are contagious. So if you've got that brewing negativity, that that spreads right along to other people. Work work, uh, production goes down in a toxic culture. Uh, Conflict goes up in a toxic culture. But the worst part of that is that it's connected to domestic violence. Because when someone comes home from work and they've been demeaned and belittled and put down and not appreciated, just like the other spillover, and energy goes out through three connections. You know, we, we always talk about Kevin Bacon and the six degrees of separation. It's really degrees of connection. And it's been proven, I, I think at Harvard, I don't have my statistics in front of me, so I, I, I want to make sure I don't quote the wrong people, uh, but it actually has been proven that whatever emotion that we give to one another, it, it's going to travel three degrees. So I make you feel good. You're going to go make someone else feel good. That person's going to go make someone else feel good. And the same thing happens with negativity. Um, and Simon Sinek, who, of course, I think we all love, uh, The Power of Why, uh, was talking one day on one of his YouTubes or something. And uh, I got stopped in my tracks when he made the connection. He has evidence that um, when someone works in a toxic environment, they bring that toxicity home. And then these are the children that are bullying other children in school because there's that effect of that negativity wanting to move three degrees out. Mm. And I have worked as a uh, mentor. I don't do it currently, but I used to be a mentor and on the board of advisors for aid to victims of domestic abuse. And that was an organization for women. We took care of women. We have, we have, we have a shelter for them. And um, many of those people that I taught, I taught happiness there little hard, hard place to teach happiness. Um, they would talk about what would happen when their husbands would come home from work. And now I understand that many of those husbands were in situations where they themselves were in some degree being abused by being in a toxic culture. If, if we began to look at our toxic cultures and saw them as systems of abuse, maybe we changed them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, I hadn't thought about it. Uh, in terms of having that kind of um, ripple effect mm-hmm. in in the homes, but it makes perfect sense. Yeah, yeah. So as you are working with leaders to create a healthy, positive culture, how are you incorporating some of these principles around happiness, which you were saying earlier, you get pushback when you use that yeah. term because people tend to think, la, 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 you know. <laughs> And what does that have to do with work? But you're making a really important case for it. But how are you framing it now so that you talk about it in a way that people 
are open to hearing it and see the connections that you've been drawing so dramatically here in our conversation. Um, I talk about the science of happiness and the science of positive psychology, because one of the things there are many, there are many names uh, for positive psychology. Science of happiness is only one of them. The other one is the science of high performance. We know what makes companies come into that state of high performance. So when I spend, typically uh, when I work with a group of leaders, I'm with them for three or four hours, depending whether it's a private client or it's a group like, like coming from different uh, organizations. Um, and that's one of the things that I address pretty early on. Some of you are not gonna like my language. So let's talk about it as positivity. Let's talk about it as, nobody has a beef with the words positive culture. So I'm sure that I'm changing my wording. And every once in a while, I slip and the H word comes out of my mouth. <laughs> it's, it's what I studied, you know, so it's hard for the word happiness not to come out of my mouth. But in truth, my own teacher doesn't use the word anymore. He uses the word subjective well-being. Because happiness has gotten, there are just too many yellow smiley faces in the world. <laughs> so, so in order to not continue to trivialize it, I really lean towards what, what does high performance look like? High performance actually is positive deviance. We're deviant in a positive way. There's the, there's the bell curve, the normal bell curve of distribution. Over on that side, you know, is the low performers. Over on the middle is the average. And over here, there's a little group over here called high performance. So those people are positively deviant. So that's one of the things I talk about right from the beginning. And their faces, when I'm in person, their faces light up. They like thinking they're positively deviant. I can feel very good. <laughs> but that, in fact, is what they are. That, in fact, is what we are. There's a lot of people out teaching. There's a lot of people out doing stuff. There's a lot of people out whatever. But you've moved into your field in a powerful way. I've moved into my field in a powerful way. We're deviant in a positive way. Mm -hmm. I think that's a good thing. It is a good thing. And so let's talk about that ripple effect um, or the, the positive spillover when the employees are being taken care of and then the impact that has on the organization's customers or clients. Well, it's enormous. Uh, you know, I, um, I hooked up with a colleague last year so that I could actually provide research so I can do happiness as a KPI research. We can measure all this. This is, this is a KPI, so we can measure it. We know that when you are in a positive state of mind, something happens to your brain. Barbara Fredrickson, who's another teacher um, at the University of North Carolina in Chapel Hill, calls it the broaden and build effect. So when you're swimming in positive feelings, I'm swimming in positive feelings right now. I'm guessing you're, by looking at your face, you're swimming in positive. So we become more creative because the right hemisphere and the left hemisphere begin communicating better together. And we're able to see the larger picture. We're able to see and experience more holistically. And they've even been able to track that when you're in a positive state, your peripheral vision changes. You see more. Mm. So you see more possibilities. And we've tracked with the KPI research, we've actually tracked the fact that when a company raises its level of happiness, um, Innovation goes up 300 to 400%. That's wild. It's fabulous. 
Because what do we need now? We need collaboration. We need innovation. And if you see the companies that pivoted really fast at the beginning of COVID, that's what they had. People became geniuses. Whoever thought you could take an entire workforce and make them remote in two weeks? I mean, people just stepped up to, to, to the possibilities. So we're living now in this world of what's possible. Because I think we're beginning to understand there's nothing that's impossible. That we are, we're in this world of possibility, but what opens that up is all of this positive emotion, positive intention, positive culture, positive meaning, connecting people to that positive meaning. Well, for organizations that aren't going to be able to bring people back together physically for a while, if ever, because some people are going to stay remote, what can they do um, remotely if they can't be in person, you know, looking at the person, talking to them, you know, across the table or the desk or whatever, ever? Yeah. Some specific things that they can do that still have that same positivity effect yes. just done remotely. Well, unfortunately, life is going to get a little bit more complicated for leaders because it's the leaders that really need to step up here first and foremost before everybody else does. Uh, they have to pay more attention. They have to have, they have, to have more one-on-ones. That would be my advice, is make sure that you're meeting with each member of your staff as often as you can, every two weeks if you can, every month at least, to find out how they're really doing. What is it that they need to make their work experience work better and, and do exactly what you said, just listen, listen with an open mind and an open heart, and then begin putting some of those things in practice. There are so many things you can do even on Zoom meetings now. You know, I, I've been doing, um, like I said, a gratitude circle, you know, and get people talking about what they're grateful for. Get people talking about their, for their families. I know some companies now, if a dog or a child or a bird flies by when you're on your Zoom call, you're expected to introduce them, you know, rather than go, shh, shh, shh. You know, in the beginning, everybody's like, get out of here, mommy's working. But now it's like, bring the kids in, you know. So it's, it's, um, it's, it's accepting the humanity, the lives that our people are having, you know, the fact that they're speaking to us from their kitchens or wherever they are. So it's a deeper set, it's a deeper sense of, I think, acceptance. And I think this is a good time for leaders to learn to listen better perhaps read your books about, about communication, uh, because this is a very good time for them to listen and to be sure that they really know what everybody's strengths are and where they're suffering. I think there are a lot of people that are suffering. So if they're suffering, where they're suffering. Some people are enjoying the heck out of this. So if they're enjoying the heck out of this, can you partner them up with maybe somebody that isn't? And, and, and can, you, can, we, can we have more mentoring relationships so that people aren't alone. A lot of people are really missing that one-on-one -on -one communication. So is there a way to scramble people up and pair them up so that once a week you have a communication with somebody you don't usually work with? And maybe you have a set of two or three questions that you share, just like we do in networking meetings, right? Mm -hmm. Those of us who are doing networking now, and which is never a favorite activity of mine, um, when I'm in a, a well-structured networking meeting and I'm in a group of three or four people or five people with a question or two or three, uh, it, it, makes, it makes it so interesting. We, get, we need to get deeper into people's um, connection to their work. We don't need to pry 
because that's that's intrusive. But I think we really need to know who on our staff is an introvert, who on our staff is an extrovert, who needs a little bit more attention, who would be somebody to give a great project to do it, do a, um, I'm starting to propose, I haven't gotten one yet, but I am starting to propose uh, happiness, um, uh, I, I've got put together something for a company called Hunting for Happiness. It's a scavenger hunt to get people involved in looking for happiness in, in places they never thought to look for happiness and then bring it back to the group. So hire people to do those fun kind of things where people can be more attuned to and attentive to what changes their own system mm -hmm. of positivity, what makes you positive, because mm -hmm. it may be different than what makes me positive. You know, as you were talking about what leaders need to do more of, I was wondering about how do leaders then get to that place of being healthy? If they're the, at the top, who do they go to? How, or wh where do they seek this kind of affirmation, positivity that they're supposed to be giving everybody else? Who feeds them? Well, that's why people belong to peer groups. That's why Vistage exists. That's why uh, all kinds of groups, people like me are starting all kinds of peer-to-peer -peer group because that's exactly right. Who nourishes the leaders to have the emotional, this takes emotional stamina to mm -hmm. be able to do this kind of work. How do we help build leaders that are gonna get us through? Because what's gonna happen now is that this economy is gonna get on, it's gonna get on fire and it's gonna kick right up. And we're dealing with people that are teetering on burnout, even though they may look like they're engaged. <laughs> you know, we need leaders to have the stamina to understand that you just can't keep pushing people and you may have to do something a little bit different. You need a support group for that. Mm -hmm. So I'm a huge believer in peer-to-peer -peer groups. I'm a huge believer in mentor relationships. Having a coach and having a mentor right now is really important. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it just seems like you can't keep giving, giving, giving without being fed yourself. So I think that is really can. good advice. None of us can. That's why you get up in the morning and you do your practice. And I get up in the morning and I do exactly. my practice. That's why we belong to groups. That's why Tom and you and Bill and I, and those people that belong to groups together, we, we ask the question, how can I help? How can I support? Mm -hmm. What can I do for you? What's easy for me? That's hard for you. So I think that as that becomes more common, and I, and I believe it will. We all found each other somehow, right? And I think I, LinkedIn is helping. You know, we are, we're, we're all creating these audiences on LinkedIn and we're seeking out people like ourselves that, that can maybe help support us a little bit. I, I think we're going to see some wonderful things happen. Well, I love your optimism and uh, your, your, your positivity, Joanna. It's very contagious. And um, we're going to need to wrap up. So I would love for people to find out how they can get more of you because you have such wonderful energy. You have such great wisdom. All the things you've shared today are so on track. You know, I don't think anyone can listen to this and say, no, I don't think so. Every single thing you've said is, is you know, so accurate about human nature, our needs, what's happening to us in, you know, in the physiology, as well as the psychology. And I just love the way you've integrated all of this. And I know there are people that are going to want more of you. So tell them how they can connect with you. And I believe you had a, um, a free offer that you wanted to provide. No, I, to you know, all, I've been, I've been, 
I, I am a compiler. And um, all through this COVID experience, living in these very uncertain times, I've been keeping little lists and I developed a little report called Be Attitudes. And it's not what a leader has to do. It's what a leader has to be during uncertain times. And that I've put together, it's just, I don't know, it's maybe three or four pages. It's not real long. Uh, it's at returnonhappiness.com slash BE hyphen attitudes. And oh, that's okay. free. And that's a, that's, that's, a, that's a good segue into my website, which is returnonhappiness.com. And I'm Joanna at returnonhappiness.com. Uh, my electronic course, my practice positive leadership course is at positiveenergizer.com because that's what it does. It makes you a positive energizer. So and I, have a YouTube, and I have a YouTube channel, uh, joannabrandy.tv. So little by little, I'm not caught up to you yet, but little by little, I'm trying to discipline myself, Meredith, to get those videos put out. I just did the ABCs of positive leadership, as you know. Uh, I may do my 54 ways to stay positive in the next round. I'm not sure yet. Well, you are such a wealth of positivity and information, and we'll make sure that we put all of those websites in the show notes page so people that are listening to this episode can go there and get the links to access all of these resources that you've created. So keep doing those videos. You're so (laughs) wonderful in how you um, convey information with such clarity. So thank you again for joining me today. It's, uh, I appreciate it. Thank you. It's, it's been my pleasure to have you. And I know my audience has, has, you know, is going to get so much from this. So thank you. And I'm glad that our timing was so perfect because the leaf blowers have just arrived. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Oh, so we, this is perfect, perfect time. I, Meredith, I can't thank you enough. This really has been a lot of fun. And um, thank you for all you do for everybody because you're really influencing me in a positive way. Oh, thank you, Joanne. I appreciate that. And uh, we will have another conversation soon, I know. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks for tuning in to the Strong for Performance podcast. Now head over to growstrongleaders.com slash free and grab our ebook, Listen Like a Pro. You'll find out how to connect on a deeper level with the people who matter to you. And while you're there, check out our two books, Connect with Your Team and Peer Coaching Made Simple. Until next time, I'm Meredith Bell.